Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Tuesday, November eighth, twenty twenty two, and it is indeed. A heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hope everyone's having a great week. How could we not? It is UFC 281 Fight Week. Ladies and gentlemen, we are four days away from the UFC's return to New York. UFC's return to the Mecca, the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. The card is very, very good. The main event is fantastic for the middleweight title between Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Cannot wait for that fight. A lot to be excited about with this card. And one of the reasons is I will be in New York. I will be there. I will not be there all week. Jose Youngs, I believe, is on his way to New York as we speak. It's going to be a crazy week. Media day going down tomorrow. I think there's like 20 fighters that are going to be at the media day. Very extended media day. It's going to be a press conference on Wednesday as well. And then Thursday, I believe there's going to be another media day to get you ready for 282, which is going down in December. Uh, There'll be some other fighters there as well. And then Friday, we'll have all the weigh-in fun. There'll even be... You guessed it, a press conference for the new Dana White's Power Slap Fighting League. So you get a little bit of everything. And then Saturday's fight day, I will be hopping on a plane 6 a.m. Saturday morning. I'll spend some time in New York. And then it's happening, ladies and gentlemen. Watch Party Part 2 going down this Saturday for the main card. It'll be myself. GC, some special guests calling in as well. And we're just going to hang out, watch fights together. First one went over so well that we're just going to go ahead and do the damn thing again. So I'm excited to head back out to the Big Apple, especially since the card is out there. 
I won't be part of any of that process, but be back in the MMA Hour studio, and we're going to do this damn thing again. Myself, GC, we're going to have a ton of fun. We have a lot to talk about. So we can talk about 281. We can talk about UFC Vegas 64, Amanda Lamush's big win. What's next for her? We can talk Fight Circus if you want, because that was a fun event to watch. Very, very crazy. We can talk about whatever. So let's get into this thing. It will kick things off with Four Corner Sports. Hello, Four Corner Sports. Good morning. I hope we're not having the same freaking issues that we've been usually having. Hang on. All right, try again, Four Corner Sports. Uh, let's go to Tristan. Tristan, hello. Hello, Mike. How's everything? I hear you okay, well. Good, good, good. Yes. That's good. Yep, we're good. We're good. Okay, um... My question has to be in regards of three people that are fighting on uh, UFC 281. That's um, Dan Hooker, Brad Riddell, and then um, Atman Azatar. Um, I just want your thoughts. I don't know if you got to see the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani on where Dan Hooker is, where Brad Riddell is, um, especially those two very interested in what they were saying and um listen these two have fought a murderous role they're in the toughest division of the sport which is the lightweight division um what are your thoughts on where they're at in their head and how they're looking at this fight with dan hooker um you know he dropped down he talked about the the going back and forth and he talked about being very stubborn and hard-headed but this man doesn't turn down fights, and he's gonna he's gonna fight the toughest dudes. So I just if you got to see what they were talking about, in the MMA are what do you what are your thoughts and what do you have to say heading into this fight against Claudio Poyas? And then also Brad Riddell, you know he's fighting Hernando Mocano, um, where he's at. He's fighting tough dudes. He just came off a loss from Jalen Turner. Then uh, I think he lost to um, forgot the other fighter that he lost to. Um, I think it was Drew Dober, actually. And, you know, where do you see him canning into these fights? Do you think it's, like, must-win for them? Because I, I don't really think it's must-wins because the 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 amount of guy, the competition that they're facing, they're facing, like, tough dudes. These are just killers that they're fighting, and they're commended. That's why they're, you know, fan favorites, especially those two. And then um, your thoughts on Ahmad Azatar. Um, can he pick up steam? Can he pick up where he left off? I think he can. I mean, if he gets a knockout against Matt Favola, do we have to start talking about him as one of those upcoming prospects? Do we put him in there with the Grant Dawson's that we just saw his performance in UFC uh, Vegas 64? Do we put him up there with with him, with um, Jalen Turner, with um, Armin Sarukian, with Matus Gamera, with... um, Demir Ismagulov with uh, Guram Kudalaza. Did we put him in there in those those props and those type of prospects against these? Again, you know, because I mean, remember he came up with a knockout win over Kama Worthy at that time. Kama Worthy was pretty good, and he just got him out of there. So if he has another performance like that, where he just picks up where he left off, do we have to start talking about him um, moving up or putting him in with those upcoming prospects that we hope? that could uh, get more shine and get into that top 15 down the road and down the future. Also, too, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping Jose Youngs does 
I mean, hopefully Ahmed Nazareth is in the press conference. Do you think we're going to get some clarity about the whole situation that happened out in Fight Island, Mike? Uh, just want your thoughts. Have a heck of a morning. Thanks for everything. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe there was potatoes in the bag. I don't know. But that was one of the big mysteries for sure with the uh, Otman Azaitar thing. Uh, I think he was supposed to fight. And, and that was, oddly enough, you're supposed to fight Matt Frivola, who he's fighting on this card. So it works out. As far as he goes, I mean, I don't know. He's obviously solid, but his, I mean, his wins are Timo Pakalin and Kama Worthy. And... Neither of those wins have aged extremely well, if we're being honest. They're both first-round finishes. Kamo was on a little, little bit of a run at the time, but I think we all kind of knew that Kamo Worthy sort of over-excelled, if you will. So, I don't know. I, I think the big problem with him is that he's just not active enough. One fight in 2019... Out for a year, fights comma worthy. Now this is his first fight in over two years. I don't know how far he goes with the win over Mafravola. I think it's just going to be a fun scrap. Someone's getting put away in the first five minutes, more than likely, and we'll see. I mean, it definitely will be a step in the right direction. But we got a lot of guys who are much more active than he is. As far as Hooker and Riddell go, I mean, I think we can all admit that neither of these guys are like title threats at this point, but Dan Hooker, especially these guys, they, they both have names that matter. Like Jalen Turner beating Brad Riddell is a very big deal. Raphael Fazeev beating Brad Riddell is a pretty big deal. Fazeev went from Brad Riddell to RDA and we'll see where Jalen Turner goes when he's ready to come back. But, and then Dan Hooker is just a big name to have on the resume. Arnold Allen got a nice little shot in the arm from it. And Claudio Puyas, listen, this guy's won five in a row. This guy's won five in a row. He's He might be the dark horse in this entire division. We just don't know it. But now we're going to get our answers. So I don't think it's must win for either guy. I think both are kind of out of title contention, but they both have significant names. And, We'll see. Hopefully they're competitive fights. I just don't know if they're quite in like that Tony Ferguson category where we kind of cringe when they fight. I don't think we're quite there just yet, but yeah, we'll see what happens. All good fights on this card. It's a lot of good ones. A lot of good storylines. Let's see if we can get four. All right. Four first words we have. Hey, sorry about that. I was crossing over the bridge. That's why I lost service, but I wanted to ask you, so on this card, we have Claudio Puez versus Dan Hooker. That's a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Now, I believe Claudio Puez has, you know, exponential potential. I just want to know, like, what's the ceiling for him? I think he could get Dan Hooker out of there by submission. Another fight that I'm I'm staring at is Dominic Reyes and, and Brian Spann. Now, Dominic Reyes, he last time he fought was against Yuri Prohashka, and I think that was more than enough time for him to recover. I'm glad he didn't fight at all after that fight um, against Yuri, you know, for him to get his head, you know, recovered and stuff like that. And he took a lot of damage from, from Yuri. How do you think he bounces back from his performance? You know, uh, how long do you see this fight lasting between uh, Aaron Blanchfield and Molly McCann? Does Molly McCann have a good chance on uh, defeating Aaron Blanchfield? Because that, that girl is strong as hell. 
and her wrestling is exponential. But that's a tall task for Molly McCann, in my opinion. And um, and lastly, I know this this may be one of your favorite fights, Montel Jackson for the RSA. How long how long does that fight last? All right, thanks, Mike. Um, how long does Jackson RSA last? I don't know. I feel like Montel Jackson's a guy that his biggest enemy is himself, and he fights a lot of guys that are just ridiculously tough. Like he knocked down JP Bays like a hundred times and still couldn't get him out of there. I would say, I'm going to say that's going to go to a decision, but if Jackson gets him out in the first half of the fight, it wouldn't surprise me. That's another guy I just need to see more of. I, I think he's so good. He's still a little green, but he's just so full of natural athletic ability and talent. We just haven't seen enough of him yet, which kind of, is concerning. That's why he's not getting to where he wants to go. Play as Hooker's a good fight. I think this fight stays standing. It's Hooker's got a chance. If it gets to the ground, they start scrambling around. Hooker might be in some trouble. So it's a big test for Playas. He needs this one more than Dan Hooker does, I think. Because again, I don't think Dan Hooker's like a title contender or anything like that. But if Claudio wants to get into that mix, he has to win this fight. So I think there's more pressure on him to win than there is on Dan Hooker, if that makes sense. Despite the little schneid that hookers on. And in terms of prelims, Dominic Reyes, Brian Spann is the most interesting fight for sure. We'll see how he bounces back. It, let's not forget Dominic, like looked pretty good against Yuri for a while. Had him hurt. Had him mounted at one point, And then Yuri just supermaned up and brutally knocked him out. I don't think that fight gets enough credit for how good it was and how competitive it was for a while. But man, that fight was great. That was my fight of fight of the year pick and my knockout of the year pick. Neither of them got the, the first nod, but I think that fight got forgotten a lot when it came to the year end voting. So definitely interested in that fight. We'll see how Ryan Spann responds in the biggest pressure spot of his career. And then Blanchfield McCann is is really good matchmaking. Like I know a lot of people had some early issues with it when it first got booked, but I think it's great. I think this is perfect matchmaking for a couple of reasons. One, if Blanchfield wins, she gets a name, someone with a lot of buzz right now on the resume. She beats Molly McCann. That's big. Makes her, makes her a very interesting prospect, maybe even the prospect to watch at 125 pounds. I know hardcores are very high on her in Blanchfield as it is. She's still young, still a little green, but Molly's going to test her. She's going to get right in her face. And, and put pressure on her. And if Molly wins, you could just keep this train rolling. And this is a, a test to see if Molly is not just someone to go out there and get big finishes in London. Can she go out there and, and be a contender? Can she be a title contender? We're going to get some answers there. So I think either way, either Blanchfield gets the rub and gets a shot up or McCann answers a lot of questions and proves that she's for real. And if Blanchfield loses, it doesn't like stunt her all that much. Because 125 is full of up-and-comers, and Blanchfield's super young. So she could bounce back from the loss to Molly McCann. And McCann could bounce back as well. If she loses there in Blanchfield, you just throw her on the next UK card, get her a matchup she could win, and she'll be fine. So love the matchmaking there, 100%. I think Blanchfield wins a decision. But who knows? McCann's just McCann's on fire right now. So that's another interesting fight on this. Cause so many interesting matchups on this one.
just it's a loaded card. Let's go to Viking MMA. Hello, Viking. Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I just uh, I just want to talk about Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. Just like you have said earlier about Usman, if he loses, what are the stakes for him when he was fighting with Leon? Do you think Adesanya is in the same shoes? Because I think he's trying to cover the damage on his on his image by saying he has a lot of money and he would buy glory if they let him. And then this fight, uh, and then this fight is personal. That's what he said. And in the MMA hour. So the same thing he was saying before the Cannoneer fight. Yeah, uh, it's both fight. It's both fighters' fault, but he accepted the fact that he started to exchange in fifth round in the Cannoneer fight. And at the same time, he said, fuck the, uh, F the build in the process of in the press conference, but um, this time he's going to smoke Pereira. That's what he said. Uh, I think skill-wise he's going to win this fight 100%, but do you really think he's going to put a show for fans and still secure his step or fight? Or this fight is really all about F the belt, because believe me or not, people are talking about Pereira and Adesanya since Pereira entered in the UFC. So that's that. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting comparison with Adesanya and, and Usman right now because Adesanya is in an interesting spot right now. And we talked about this last week. If Adesanya goes out there and beats Alex Pereira, it's a, it's a clear win. There's no controversy, nothing like that. What do we do? Like, what does he do now? Because I know Usman was talking about moving up to even light heavyweight after the Leon Edwards fight and feeling like he's already sort of cleaned out this division. I think Adesanya has a better case for moving up right now than Usman had because Usman still had Shemaev out there. And Adesanya doesn't really, I mean, there's guys, there's guys on the come up. There's Andre Muniz, there's DDP, but neither guy has really earned themselves a title fight just yet. And maybe part of it is, just getting the right matchups. DDP is getting Darren Till, so that's good. But I just don't know. Like, this could be the last fight at 185 for Adesanya. Like, it's possible. It's something we have to keep in mind. If he goes out there and wins, I could see him moving up to 205, like, taking it seriously. Not just rushing up there for one fight, but just saying, you know what? I've done everything I could here. I'm bumping up. And if Pereira wins, I think, the like, honestly, the best thing for this division from a business sense is Alex Pereira winning this fight. Because then you get the rematch. It's got to be absolutely gigantic. So that's probably like the best thing that could happen for the UFC in the middleweight division is that Pereira wins. And then they could have the rematch, which would be gigantic. And then if Pereira wins again, it opens up this division all over again. But at the same time, if Adesanya wins and bumps up, still opens up the division a little bit. So love the fight. I'm leaning Adesanya as well. But I thought Eugene Berriman on that same MMA Hour show Said it best. Pereira is like the ultimate challenge. You can't take any seconds off against this guy. Because if he hits you, you could be done. Just one shot. And I'm, I'm interested to see what Adesanya is like in the cage. He, 
Adesanya will build the fight up at the press conference and the media day, and he'll say things, and he'll have quips, the Elsa line, frozen like Elsa, and all that stuff. Like, those things will be ready to go. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is what Adesanya's going to look like locked into a cage with this guy. How's he going to feel having two losses to him? What's he going to do? How's he going to respond? These are the things I'm curious about. But I do think Adesanya will win. Will he put? Will it be like the most compelling, exciting matchup? Are we going to see Glover versus Yuri? Probably not. But I think Adesanya will be a little more aggressive because I think Pereira will be a little more aggressive. But Pereira also is not like he's not he's not just going to come in there and bull rush him. Like Pereira is not Justin Gaethje. He's not just going to roll in there and try to take his head off. They're both sort of counter strikers in a lot of way. They both feed off of mistakes. So I think we could see a slower fight early, but then I think Pereira is going to realize, oh, crap, I'm down two rounds. I got to step this up a little bit. But I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see the fight. I love it. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Let's go to QP. QP, are you there? Yo, what's good, bro? How you doing, QP? I'm all right. Uh, I appreciate you for taking my call again. Um, yeah, so let's 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 talk about this guy TJ. So as we as we was watching the fight, or I watched it back, I see a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, Aljo only won because TJ was hurt. TJ was hurt. TJ was hurt." I got somebody at my job that spews this to the heavens, right? But if you think about it. He came out with a kick-heavy game plan against a wrestler. Knowing that you have an injury, you come out with a kick-heavy game plan. If you look at the sequence where he gets taken down, his arm gets uh, dislocated, redislocated. That same sequence would have happened, barring him not having a... Like if you said he had three arms, he literally the same thing literally would have happened. He would have got taken down. He would have got his back took. He would have got beat up for a round. The next round would have came out. He would have got beat up again. That's how the fight would have went regardless. He's on interview saying, uh, excuse me. Yeah, he's not he's not that dangerous. When he was hitting me, he wasn't on the ground, but he was out on the ground. Like he was knocked out. It's literally nothing that he could have done, regardless of having three arms, four legs. Like I just don't understand why he keeps coming out and attacking a guy that beat him fair in my opinion, beat him fair and square. Like, yeah, just just the whole idea of it being like a fluke or, you know, what people are trying to say, how they try to discredit Aljo because of the way he's become, became champ and then his first win and the second win. I just want to get your thoughts on, like, I heard your thoughts, you know, right after the fight on the post-fight show, but I just want to hear, you know, weeks after and then hearing him come out on interviews and still trying to say, like, oh, well, he only won because I had one arm and I really thought I was going to win. But, I mean, if you look at his game plan, he came out and he threw probably five or six kicks within the first minute and then got a kick caught and got took to the ground. 
that would have happened, that had nothing to do with his arms. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yep. I do get what you're trying to say. And I still feel the same way. Like I heading into the fight, I picked TJ to win just because I went with, I went with mathematics. I went with numbers. I went with different things, how it's really hard to keep TJ on the ground. But then if you go back and watch that fight, Aljo is like three weight classes bigger than TJ Dillashaw. He's just gigantic. And you don't even, I never, I mean, they had face-offs and stuff and, and all that, but when you actually see them in the cage, you realize like, oh my God, like this guy's so much bigger than TJ Dillashaw. And then you realize that TJ Dillashaw is up there in age. And I just don't feel like that fight goes any differently. Like, I think there's some different things that happen. Like TJ could throw that hand that throw more punches and stuff, but I don't think like TJ's getting up. Like, I don't know if he goes out there and gets TKO'd and finished, but I think if TJ gets taken down that first sequence, he's spending the whole round down there. He's not getting like, this isn't, this isn't the t- this isn't Corey Sandhagen on top of him. This isn't this is a monster who's like a hundred. He's probably like one hundred sixty pounds in that fight. Way heavier, way bigger, way stronger than TJ. So I mean, do, do I think Aljo goes out there and just destroys him in two rounds? No. Do I think Sterling could have gotten him out of there? Yes. Do I think he still would have won the fight? Yeah, I do. I didn't think that heading in, but after seeing these guys next to each other in the cage i was like oh my god this is this is a different thing altogether this is a flyweight fighting a lightweight and that's how i looked at it so i mean who knows i mean nobody really knows the answers to these questions but just to me after seeing these guys and normally the bigger more athletic guy gets these wins and then the other thing that matt told us is that guys tj's age they don't come back and win the title especially when you're under a welterweight they just don't come back and win the belt TJ would have been by far the oldest under welterweight champion in UFC history if he had won that fight. Father time always gets the nod, baby. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it again someday, but I honestly don't. It, it obviously made a difference, but I don't think I don't think Aljo would have lost that fight. I don't. I still think Aljo would have won, which is a far cry of what I was saying heading in, but. Even in like the first five seconds of that fight, I was just the first thing I noticed was holy moly, Aljo is a giant compared to TJ Dillashaw. This is this is not even fair. It's not even fair. Let's go to Donkey Kong, the well dressed Donkey Kong. DK, what's up? I was I just wanted to speak about Robert Whittaker. Um, so say he does beat Paulo Costa. Where do you think he ranks in the uh, middleweight division? Do you think he has earned the title shot next, or? Um, look, I, I think Robert Whitaker is the second best middleweight in the world. Plain and simple, he's the second best guy. I think, much like Colby at welterweight, in a world where Israel Adesanya doesn't exist, just like in a world where Kamar Usman didn't exist. Whitaker would be the champion right now. I think he's the second best middleweight in the world. I think he's going to beat Paulo Costa. I think he's going to do it pretty convincingly. Might even finish Costa. And then, I don't know. If Izzy wins and stays at middleweight, I don't think he gets a title shot. But if Pereira wins and Izzy's like, 
and Pereira wins a second time if they run it back. I think that's Whitaker's best case scenario that to get a title shot is that Pereira wins twice or if Adesanya wins and moves up. Adesanya can't be the champion is what I'm saying. But if he goes out there and beats Costa and Adesanya is not the middleweight champion anymore, whether he loses or he vacates and moves up to 205, I think Whitaker gets the next shot. 100%. He's good. He's the second best middleweight in the world. He beats everybody in that division except except for uh, Adesanya right now. What's up, Double A? Good, how are you? I'm all right. I've got a question about uh, Michael Chandler. Since he's fighting this week, um, I know this. My question might have something to do with um, when he came into the UFC. But my my question is: um, Is there a fighter apart, aside from Michael Chandler, that you can think of that has fought um, the biggest names that he names similar to he has that he has? Pardon me, because like he's fought like name after name after name since joining the UFC, you know. I don't need to remind you who they are, but I'm going to list them anyway. You know, Dan Hooker, Charles Oliveira, um, um, Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje. Um, he's just for, you know, this guy is just on a mission, it seems, just to fight everyone with a name in this division. And is there, has there been anyone else that started their UFC career like this? Okay. Everyone have a good day. You have a heck of a morning, Mike, and uh, peace out, guys. Thanks, man. That's a good question. Uh, I, I could probably put Yuri up there. I mean, there, it's different divisions, too. Like, lightweight's a whole different beast than any other division. There's just more bigger, stronger names in that division. But, um, I mean, Yuri's a good one. I'd say probably Justin, Justin Gaethje might be, the, might be the dude. Comes in, fights Michael Johnson, who in July of 2017 was looked at much differently than he is now. Then he fights Eddie Alvarez. Then he fights Dustin Poirier. Fights James Vick, which again, at that time, James Vick was on a nice winning streak, was looking for a big fight. There was some heat between those guys. Went out there and knocked Vick out in the first round. Then he fights Edson Barboza. Donald Cerrone, Tony Ferguson, Habib, Chandler, and Oliveira. That run is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous run since coming over to the UFC. It's probably better than Chandler's. It's, it's a better run than Chandler's, especially at the time. Like, if we look at these names in 2022, some of them might not mean the same, but back in 2017, 2018, 2019, and on that way up, it's Gaethje. It's Gaethje 100%. I would say so. I'd say that's the one. But I like the question. But Chandler's run has been ridiculous too. Zeke, hello. Mike, how are we? Good, how are you? Doing all right. I've been hyping it up for months, maybe even a year. I can't stop talking about it. We got Frankie Edgar fight week. Let's go. I'm super excited. Let me do everything I can to get in the building. Uh, Can you talk to me about that a little bit and maybe even a look ahead? I know this will probably be the only time I will ever do this to a card like this in the UFC. You have a Bellator main event next weekend. Corey Anderson and Vadim Nemkov for the light heavyweight Grand Prix. I'm pretty sure that will be taking place next Saturday. A little preview to that maybe. All right, Mike, have a heck of a week. You know I'll be in here all week. 
Thanks, man. Yep, Frankie Edgar, final fight of his career, taking on Chris Gutierrez. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a fight Frankie can win. It's a fight Gutierrez can win. I mean, Frankie just, if he wins, then he just goes out with the win, and that's cool. If Gutierrez wins, he probably gets a ranking, but I don't know if he gets quite the rub that some people would expect him to get. But listen, it's a fine fight. Works out. I would rather see Dominic Cruz in that spot, but I understand why we can't. I would have loved to have seen like Jose Aldo in that spot, but again, he's retired. I don't know who else you put in there, so Gutierrez is fine. Gutierrez is fine. He's on a nice streak. Gets him the biggest marquee win of his career. Let me pull up this Bellator card. This is one of my this is one of my issues with this whole Josh Thompson versus the media thing is that while I understand that this Bellator Ryzen card is awesome, we can't neglect these other Bellator cards. Like this one. Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson. We finally get to put a bow on this light heavyweight Grand Prix. I feel like this light heavyweight Grand Prix has been going on for like three years now. Finally, we get to put a bow on it and it could be done. Um, and then the co-main event might be like if if there's five fights for the rest of the year that I can only watch, I'm picking one of my five is Patricky Pitbull versus Usman Nurmagomedov. I'm very, very interested in that fight. But there's no promotion for it. None. No one's talking about it. And I don't get it. I don't get it. We want to, of course, we want to look at December 31st. It's awesome. I love this Bellator Rise and co-promotion thing. We're going to cover the hell out of that thing. But we got to remember that we have two other events before that with some good prospects on it too and really good fights. Like Habib Nurmagomedov could be the coach of the two of two lightweight champions and two major promotions with Islam. And I think Usman's going to beat Patricky Pitbull. So he, he's going to have two major lightweight champions in his camp. How is like, this should be your top promoting thing for the next three weeks or next couple of weeks, whenever this is for next Friday, like this should have been your promotion. Can Habib be the coach of the two lightweight champions and two of the biggest promotions? I think he will be. This is how you promote. These are the things you need to do to promote these cards. Nemkov Anderson is a great fight. I feel like it's lost some steam because Anderson was clearly winning dominantly their first fight. And then it ended in such a bizarre way. And now Corey Anderson kind of gets a closer to hometown fight, gets to do it in Chicago. He'll have the fanfare. I think Corey will win. And then Bellator could have that conversation. Like, do we have the best light heavyweight in the world? And that's a good conversation to have because I think they have a case if Corey Anderson goes out there and beats Vadim Nemkov. And then we got Bellator 289 coming up after that. Stott Sabatello, Carmouche Velasquez, Maga Madoff versus Patchy Mix. Awesome fight. Another good card that's not getting any promotion. So we got to get to these fights. We got to get to the Bantamweight Grand Prix finale. And then we can talk about the Bellator versus Ryzen card. And here's the last thing I'm going to say about this, because I had people like DMing me and sending me clips of weighing in and all that. 
Here's what I'll say. I've spent way too much time talking about this whole situation and perhaps my rant early on, it was a little much going back and thinking about it. What I'll say is this. Perhaps I was a little too hard on, on Josh. Perhaps maybe some of the things he said were, I don't know if misrepresented is, is the right word. But I'll say this. I, know, I get where he's coming from. He's coming from a good place. He may be wrong about some things, but that's okay. That's okay. And I understand that, you know, the promote and the cover thing, and he, and he talked about that. He talked about the thing that I had maybe the biggest issue with was the don't be scared, homie, you'll lose your UFC credentials. Like, don't be afraid. Like, are you just not going to do it because you're afraid to lose your UFC credentials? He touched on that a little bit in the clip that I watched from Sunday show. At the end of the day, I ain't got a beef anymore. I just don't it's, – it's not worth it because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We, want the, we all want this event to do well. We want people to talk about it. We want it to be great, and that's what I'm going to do from now on. I ain't going to sit here on the show and just talk about Josh Thompson and say mean things. I'm not going to do that anymore. This is my mea culpa, if you will. Enough is enough. Let's just focus on what needs to be focused on. Let's focus on the fights. Let's focus on the athletes. No more Josh versus the media. We don't need it anymore. I've said what I've had to say. Some of the things were a little harsh. I regret it a little bit. But there are some things that I don't, I don't think I'm wrong about. But that's okay. At the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want this event to do well. And that's, that's what we're going to hope for. But my, my one thing I will say is what I just said earlier. Well, that event is super cool, and I hope it's the first of many, and we're going to cover it. Maybe we'll do some sort of like thing on the spaces and watch it all together. Maybe we'll do like a virtual watch-along or something. I don't know. We're going to do something with that because it's huge. It's awesome, and the fights are going to rule, and we're going to get rising rules. We're going to see soccer kicks out of these guys, which is awesome. But we all want the same thing. We all want this to do well. We want this card to be really good. So let's just focus on that and not about the other stuff because at this point, no one cares anymore. No one cares. It's been talked about to death. We're taking, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty of it myself. Taking the focus off of the card and putting it on things that don't really matter. So this is my mea culpa. Done with the attacks, done with the trash talk, Done with the back and forth. Let's just focus on the rest of the year and the cool fights that Bellator is trying to do. Because let's be honest, I've talked about this for years. No one wants Bellator to succeed more than I do. I really want them to do well. I want them to go back to where they were a few years ago. They have many, many holes in their promotional game. I think even Josh would admit that at this point. He won't say it on his show. And I understand why. Because, I mean, he works for them. So he's not, like, and I get it. Just like Anik on his show is not going to come out and just rip the UFC. I totally understand that. But there are issues with the promotion. That's the issue a lot of people have with this whole thing is that how are we going to get this out to people? How are we going to make people care about it? Where are the storylines? Are we promoting this too soon? And then just forgetting about it and then picking it back up later when it's too late. I feel like they did that with the December card a little bit 
They promoted the crap out of it. We got Sabatello and Stotts in the studio going face-to-face like three months before the fight's supposed to happen. Like, save some of this stuff for the promotion of the card. And let's not forget about November 18th, next Friday. That card's great. The two title fights are awesome. We got some good... Roman Feraldo's on that card? Roman Feraldo's great. He's a solid prospect. Let's not forget about these fights before we get to December 31st. So... Mea culpa, we done, no more trash talk. Let's just do our part to make this event cool. Like, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to cover it. You do the same. And come December 31st, we're going to be jacked up for this thing. All right? This is where we're, that's how we're going to handle it. So no more negativity on my end. Let's just get to the goal that we want. We want this to be successful. We want more of these. We want more of these types of events. We don't want this to be a one-time thing. We want it to be a many-time thing. We want this to be a, an annual event, Bellator versus Rising. I'm all in on that idea. So let's just focus on that stuff. We'll go to Toke, then we'll go to Pella, and then we'll go to Ahead. Toke, hello. So I'm very distraught. So... <laughs> Um, because, you know, Marco Madsen, he fought, and sorry, I'm going to say Marco Madsen because they've done it in Danish media as well since he started, since he wrestled in the Olympics, they've always said Marco Madsen, even though it's his middle name. And I know Alex K. Lee was against that. I'm just saying Danish media has done it for years. So when Marco Madsen gets out wrestled in the UFC, what is there left for him to do? I mean, the, and I, I, I know I said this last week, but having seen how bad it went, I'm completely, I can't even see him taking one more fight in the UFC at this point, because what's the point? There's no point because he can't ever enter the top 15 when he's that limited. And the part that's supposed to set him apart from the others he can actually get beaten because his wrestling is not MMA based. It is just Greco Roman. So what do you do? I know I said PFL last time. I don't know if you have a better idea, but please let me know. Um, I mean, I, I, I actually, I like the PFL idea. If they could get him out of that contract, I'm sure. That it, and I'm not saying this to be a jerk, but I think the UFC would be like, okay, you go ahead. You want to be released? Go be released. I, I don't think there's anything. I don't think the UFC has any standing with him where it's like, we have to keep this guy. I, I just, I don't think so. So I think if his management team or his coaches or whatever, or he just goes to the UFC and be like, look, I think I've exhausted all my opportunities here. There's not much more I can do. I'm not going to be a top 15 guy. I'm not going to be a top 10 guy. I'm not going to be fighting for the UFC title. Let me just go. I'll go to PFL. I'll go to Bellator. And I think the UFC would be like, all right, dude, bet. Go ahead. But yeah, I think that's probably his best bet right now is see if there's other opportunities elsewhere. But who knows? Maybe he wants to, and I don't know how long Jakar Close is going to be out for, but maybe he wants that Jakar Close fight before he he goes off and does something else. Because there's some heat there and you get a, I mean, that's basically it. That's the one fight left for him. 
that he would want that would be really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't think the UFC would stop him, honestly. They would just they would just say, okay, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, and then they'd part ways with him. And I, I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, you had even mentioned that the UFC pulled him aside from an interview that they were like, you gotta just, you can't just win. You gotta win convincingly. And man, that Grant Dawson matchup was a nightmare for him. Just really, really tough. Grant's good. The weight miss hampers it slightly, but not too much in my eyes because it's a short notice fight. But Grant's just that good, man. That's why I've been high on this kid for like six years now. That was that was an impressive performance. All right, let's go to Pella. Ahead, you're on deck. Pella, are you there? Um, um wanna talk about um Easy and Easy and um Poatan. What do you think? Who do you think is definitely gonna win that match? And also for um Megumer and um Jan for UFC 282. Who do you think is definitely going to win that match too? Because that's a really, really, really good fight. Thanks, man. Uh, main event, man, it's tough. Leading out of Sanya by decision, but I could be ter- I could be terribly wrong. But that's where I'm leaning. It's going to be Adesanya is going to have to be pretty much mistake free for that fight, and I think he will. I think there's a there's a different kind of focus to him. I think he learned a lot from that 276 win. Took a lot, took a bit of a beating on that one. So, yeah, I'm leaning out of signing to win a decision, but I could be wrong. He could something in my gut tells me we could be in for something crazy. Would the way this year has gone would not shock me. And then the Ankalaev Blahovich fight. Man, it's a tough one. I would. I'm going to lean Ankalaev because I. Th- I mean, Ankalaev could be the best 205er in the world. Like I know Yuri has the belt. I know Yuri's fighting Glover again. That's the title fight. But I. I feel strongly that Ankalaev could beat either of those guys. It may not be the prettiest thing in the world, but he gets the job done, and I think he'll beat Jan Blahovich. But I think it's a good fight. It is a great matchup. It's a true number one contender fight. Sign me the hell up for that one. But I think Ankalaev's going to win the decision. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ahead, it's been a it's been a little while, my man. How are you? Yes. Last week, I kept missing the shows, but like I, I wanted to tell you, like I'm, yeah, I wanted your admission that you were wrong. I was coming on last. I wanted to come on last week to say how uh, your admission that you were wrong about everything, uh, Henry Cejudo. But I'll get okay. I'll get to that in a little bit. Because uh, I've got one point before I talk about Henry Cejudo, which is about this um, gambling issue. Because obviously, like MMA fighting, like made the story of how this UFC featherweight last uh, weekend, how a fight might have been fixed. There was some sort of like um, scam or whatever. Like, and you know, I don't really know much about gambling, but it's uh, some sort of like scam basically happening. And it just opens the doors to another conspiracy theory. And I like conspiracy theories mainly because a lot of them are true, like how the COVID-19 vaccine kills, but that's a different story. But the thing is, is like this conspiracy theory about James Krause, because he's got his own Discord channel. And the thing is, is like people pay to be on that Discord channel and he gives out all these odds and stuff. And James Krause coaches so many fighters in the UFC. And, you know, there's this theory going around of how he's interfering with the fights and how he's not fixing. Yeah, kind of like fixing fights. And the, yeah, a lot of people seem to be catching on to that. Um, so it's just a bit fishy. Now, about Henry Cejudo, Mike, like there are so many things that the last time we talked that have just been completely wrong. Firstly, it was like, oh, no one wants to see Henry Cejudo versus Aljamain. Uh, people want to see Sean. But your boy, Mike, John Anik, he, the one of the most followed guys in MMA, had a poll. And who came out on top and who came out on bottom? Sean O'Malley, as far as I I'm aware, came out on bottom on that poll and Henry came out on top. And then it was like, Henry wasn't serious and Henry's asking for the interim fight. And and now it's like, okay, like you said what you said about Henry. Well, now you've got to keep that same energy to Aljo and Sean because, by the way, firstly about Aljo, I don't know what that other dude was talking about. Like, um, is it like Aljo would definitely have dominated Dillashaw. Dillashaw was throwing kicks. Dillashaw was throwing kicks because he had one arm. All right, he couldn't have spammed jabs. That was ridiculous. But the thing is, is, is this, right? Aljo, he beats a one-armed guy and he wants to fight in June. You know, like, where's the criticism of that? And then also Sean O'Malley, Sean O'Malley, like, Henry's there. Henry is right there. And Sean O'Malley is trying his best to sidestep Henry. He, I, I guess he really does believe he can beat Shiro. And I, I think so, too. And listen, you clown me for saying Henry, like comparing Henry and Khabib. But the thing is, is this, like Henry is one of the best to ever do it. Multiple weight division champion. And I'm going to be real right now. Like as in he comes back, even if it's not 100 percent, he will butcher this entire division. I don't like Henry, but I'm not going to let my emotions cloud my judgment. And that's the thing. Like, Mike, are you going to keep that same criticism of Sean and Aljo the way you did for Henry? Drop the mic, Mike. 
I mean, it, ha- it must. It, 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 guess it has been a while since you've been on a hit because I have been keeping the same energy. Aljo has fumbled the bag like nobody else. Like he's destroyed this whole thing. As soon as he beat TJ Dillashaw, he should have been on the mic, on the press conference, and everywhere else saying, "Sean O'Malley, you're next." That was the way he should have done it the whole time for multiple reasons. One, it's the biggest fight he can get right now. I don't care what you say. We had our own poll, and O'Malley destroyed Henry Cejudo in our poll. So that's one thing. Two, O'Malley is the most winnable fight for him, but it's also the – this is prize fighting. Like, that is literally the definition of prize fighting. You get the biggest fight you can get, but the matchup that's best for you. And this would be the best matchup for him and the most lucrative matchup for him. 100%. 100%. So Aljo has fumbled the bag from Jump Street. Aljo is learning along the way, though, by listening to these shows. And I think he's listened to ours because he's starting to understand. So Hudo's not the bigger fight. Is it the more intriguing matchup from a stylistic perspective? Of course. And I've said that from the beginning. And I've never dumped on Cejudo as a fighter. Never. I've dumped on Cejudo as a retirer. He's the worst retirer in in the history of sports, in my opinion. He's horrible. And then what he's done since has been abysmal. It's just been so bad. And no one has cared. Very few have cared. The UFC hasn't cared. And I still think that when Dana White brought up Henry's name, I think there's a very strong possibility that he was being sarcastic about it. He wasn't serious. I don't think he was fully serious about it. I think he was just like, oh, you want Cejudo? Ha ha. All I'm saying about Cejudo, and I've said this from the beginning, just fight somebody. I don't care who it is. Prove to us that you're actually serious about this. Because we all know what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Just get ready for it. If the UFC goes this route and books Cejudo versus Aljo and Cejudo wins and becomes the champion again, what's he going to do? He's either going to walk away again or he's going to go wait and fight Volkanovski and he's not going to fight anybody. Do we want to do this again? Does the UFC want to deal with this again? No. That's my issue. Now, Sean O'Malley, I think Sean O'Malley... Well, maybe he hasn't been tremendous at all of this. I love the fact that O'Malley was like, you know what, Cejudo? You want to sit there and call me stupid nicknames? I'm just going to go for the Cheeto fight because that's the one everybody wants anyways. So he's trying to just leave Cejudo out altogether. You know what? I'm not going to fight Cejudo for an interim title. I'll fight Cheeto for the interim title. And then that knocks Cejudo out of the conversation altogether, especially if Aljo's not fighting till June. And I love that idea. I love that. And of course, Cejudo responded in time and such. And Cheeto just tenated him in response. So I don't think I'm wrong. I actually gave Cejudo a little bit of credit for going to the O'Malley route which is probably what he should have done in the first place. And he tried to do that in July too. Remember he did that little backstage 
just awful cringy thing with, with O'Malley after the Pedro Munoz fight. I was like, this is good. This is what you should be doing. Go get that fight. Go fight Sean O'Malley. Go fight anybody. I don't care who it is. Go fight Sanhagen. Go fight anyone. Go fight Jonathan Martinez for all I care. Go fight one of those guys. If you win, go fight for the belts. Go ahead. I, you'll, you'll never get an argument from me. But just show me that you're serious. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I want to see what Sterling Cejudo looks like. I want to see that fight. I, I definitely want to see it. But I don't want to see it if Cejudo's just going to be like, all right, I'm retiring again. You're not paying me enough. Or I won this title. I'm never defending it. I'm going to fight Volkanovsky. I don't want that. I don't want to see it. So if they do Cejudo O'Malley, I'll, I love it. Love it. I'll give Cejudo some credit. And I've given him credit. The O'Malley call it to, in the first place. I gave him credit for that. But it's just everything else, man. And, and don't say I haven't ripped on Aljo because he's fumbled the bag too. He should have been all in on O'Malley from Jump Street. He didn't do it. Oh, whatever the UFC wants to give me, I'll take it. No. Call Sean O'Malley out. And then, and then if you beat Sean O'Malley, you could stick it to Zuhudo big time and just say, you know what? I'm stepping away. I'm moving up to 145. That's it. Vacating the belt so my boy Marab Dewalish Willie can fight for it. And you got the biggest fight you could get right now. But you didn't do that. So yeah, he gets it too. And that's it. I just, I feel the consistent thing about the Cejudo thing for me has always been, show me you really want to do this. Don't just come in and try to do a power play just so you can leave again. Show me you want to fight. Go fight somebody else, win, and then you don't even have to fight for the Bantamweight title. If you go fight anybody, you can just be like, you know what, Volkanovsky, I'm, I'm skipping Bantamweight. I'm going up to Featherweight. Let's go. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. But just fight somebody. Go fight Max Holloway. Cejudo Max Holloway. Then go fight Volk. I don't care. But just fight somebody. That's all. The bag is still sitting there. It's still sitting in the middle of the street. No one's wearing the Velcro gloves to pick it up and run with it. But Cejudo, like, bathed in butter. So that every time he gets near the bag, he slips and falls. But Aljo can't pick it up either. And O'Malley's trying to just screw over Cejudo altogether. So we'll see what happens. I definitely wasn't wrong, that's for sure. Anthony, hello. Yo, what's up, bro? How's it been? Hey, Good. real quick, before I get to my meat and potatoes, who had the worst retirement, really? Tom Brady or Henry Cejudo? It's Cejudo, and it's not even close. <laughs> hey, well, I just wanted to say uh, I'm actually in Cross's uh, uh, Discord, and we there's no tip about Minner. I actually saw the line movement, and I went to Minner, and I, I went to the group chat, and I was like, man, did they fucking say something? And nobody said shit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all on that. But uh, And then uh, 
Yeah, just real quick, I haven't been here for a while, but I called that Patty fight, man. I came in here like a month ago and said he was going to fight Jared Gordon, and lo and behold. All right, man, have a heck of a morning. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's a good fight. I, I, I like the matchup with Gordon. I think they'll do good things with it, raise awareness for mental health issues, and, and that's, just, that's great stuff. Love that stuff. And I think it's a good test for, for Patty, too. I think it'll answer, it'll give me a lot of things to think about if he wins. And if Gordon wins, it's good for Jared. Like, he's one of the really good guys in the space, and his story's incredible. And that'll be a great win for him. And then Patty could just continue doing what he's doing and fight on these UK cards and look like an absolute superhero over there. And that's cool. The betting thing is just really bizarre because, like, I don't know. I mean, I know everyone kind of pointed the finger at Krauss and, and all of that, but, you know, you were on the Discord, so I appreciate the insight there. But there, I mean, I know I had mentioned the word fixed, and I, I don't know if that's the right word, but there are some shenanigans. There's some shenanigans going on here. There's no doubt about it. What those shenanigans are, I don't know. But somebody from the inside dropped that information and it caused this line movement. I don't think it was Kraus, but maybe somebody within the team. I mean, even like in that ESPN write-up, um, they talked to somebody and they said, yeah, he was definitely hurt heading into the fight. So, but that's a big reason why they instituted this new policy that you can't bet on UFC fights. But, and this is the exact reason why the UFC put this thing in place. So their asses are pretty much covered in this situation, I think, but I'm curious to see what comes out of it with this investigation and all of that. And it's going to come out who, who started this process more than likely. And then what happens to that individual? I, I, if it's Kraus, I'll be stunned. Honestly, I will be stunned because I don't think Kraus is just going to sell out his own fighter like that. Um, yeah, it's very strange. It's a big deal too, but we'll see how this all pans out and what the results are. And it's just, I mean, there's definitely some tomfoolery here. This is not uh, this is not any sort of conspiracy theory. When you see line movement like that, and you see a guy get hurt that quickly for just throwing a kick and then getting finished in the first round, and that was some of the other stuff that was interesting. It wasn't just the line movement, but there were a lot of bets coming in on Nerdenbaka getting a finish in the first round. A ton of that ton of first-round action coming in that wasn't there before. And now all of a sudden, a guy who doesn't have a finish in the UFC is getting all this action on a first-round finish. It's sketchy, man. It's definitely sketchy. I picked Shiloh to, I believe, my official pick that I put in Saturday morning for the MA Fighting Squad was Nerd and Becca by second round TKO because I just felt it was submission or bust for Minner. And he's a, he's a high-paced, get-in-your-face, get-or-get-got kind of a guy. And I just felt that if Minner didn't get a submission, he was going to get finished. But 
it was just strange to see how this is all playing out. It's it's very bizarre. Let's go to UFC News. Take UFC News and the AM, and then we're getting out of here. UFC News, hello. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I got a crazy take for you. I was thinking about this in the morning, and you were talking about Cejudo. So what if Volkanovski ends up being a three-division champion? And I'm not talking Bantamweight. I'm talking welterweight. You think there's any chance of that happening? A Volk being a three-division champ? Yeah. I could see him beating Leon, you know, pound for pound. He's short, stocky, low to the ground. Leon's not going to wrestle with him. I think he's quicker. Man, let me – I don't know. I. Oh, man, because I don't think he's going to beat Makachev. So that kind of kills it right there. But let's just say he does. And then he just runs through everyone at 55. And then he just gets bored and wants to go to 170. I mean, he's going to have to fight. But by the time he makes that move, he's either fighting Usman. Because I don't know. I mean, maybe Leon beats Usman again. I don't know. But then he's going to have to fight either. He might be fighting Colby. He might be fighting Hamza Shemaev. I don't like his chances in either of those fights. So I'll say no. I don't think Volk will have. I don't think Volk can do that. Like, the difference in the Cejudo one is that you know, it's, it's a 20 pound difference, 25, 35, 45. And then for Volk, it's 45, 55. And then we're jumping up to 70. So you're just basically fighting dudes that are 190, 200 pounds. Like it's, it's just too much. Like I know Volk has weighed in the two hundreds before for his, for his rugby career and, and all that. And I remember like when he, he broke in, that's all anybody talked about. This guy used to be a 220 pound rugby player. Now he's a 145 pound UFC fighter. No, I don't think I I don't think he can. I just think it's I just think the size is too much once you get to 170. The size might be too much for him at 155. Fighting a guy like Makachev if that fight even happens. So we'll see. But that'd be that'd be pretty crazy if like if Volk gets a shot to be a three division champion before Cejudo did. That'd be a big time slap in his face. Yeah, I'm hello. Good, how are you? Uh, 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 Henry Cejudo's case. I'm not. Gonna be, I will not be, be pissed if he just fought for the title, won the title, and retired again. Because that would be a boss move if he did that again. Because, like JSP uh, uh, said, uh, people who do that, they are smart. Because UFC doesn't like people or champions or stars to to live on their term. They want them to live on the organization's term. They want them to look bad before they leave uh, because they always want the focus to be on the, on the lights, to be on the on the organizations, and they don't want fighters to be bigger than, than, than them. That's about that. Uh, regarding Alex Pereira and uh, Easy's fight, how, how do you see it going? Do you think it might go to the ground for a little bit? Do you think Alex, since he has been uh, training with uh, Grover Teixeira, do you think he had, may, maybe he has been training uh, grappling and all that, and he might just take it to the ground for a little bit? That's it for me, and thank you. Have a good day. 
Thanks, man. So the first thing, the Cejudo thing and the GSP thing, look, I, I get it, but here's, here's the problem. Like, a lot of people like to compare the Cejudo situation to the GSP situation. GSP is a 5,000 times bigger star than Cejudo. It's, it's just the way that it is. Like, he's a proven draw. Cejudo is not. He just, the pro, like, Cejudo is just, I, I'll give him credit. Like, he keeps playing this hand, and he's, he's just going to play it. Like, it's like he got, you know, he's, got, he's holding pocket threes, but we have ace, king, ten, jack, nine on the board, and he's just like, I'm going to play it like I'm winning it, even though he's losing. He's just, he's, credit to him, he's, he's still going to try, but he just overplayed his hand from the beginning, and it hurts him. And the UFC saw it, the GSP thing. It sucked for the UFC because they had GSP basically verbally promise them, like, you know what? I'm not coming back for one for one fight. Like, I'll fight Robert Whitaker if I beat Michael Bisbing. Like, no problem. He didn't. But it's a little bit of a different scenario, too, because GSP had a lot of health issues trying to bulk up to 185, messed with his gut, had some real health issues with that whole situation. This is different. Cejudo is a whole different ballgame. Cejudo screwed over the company. Like, straight screwed him over. And the UFC doesn't want that to happen again. They don't... And here's the other thing. They don't need him. Like, everybody moved on without him. GSP, they did, really didn't. Because even, like, when Habib was the champion, it was always... What about Habib versus GSP? Like, people brought his name up for these... Super fights, Usman versus GSP, even like Woodley versus GSP for a while. Like these, we were having these conversations. When Cejudo left, it was like, that was it. Outside of Cejudo asking for it and Dana just randomly put, throwing that up at a press conference, no one has asked for him to fight. Because no one believes it's going to happen. That's just, that's just it. He just overplayed his hand. And again, one of the best to ever do it. Dude is an incredible fighter. His resume is spectacular. And that's not what's holding him back. It's everything else. It's everything else. And that's all. There's just no trust there. There's no trust. But how you build trust is you fight somebody else. Then you can build some trust. But until that happens, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Milo, hello. Oh, hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you. You yeah, too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you uh, like a one prediction for your uh, listeners for UFC 281 uh, main event before it uh, hits the cage side press. Uh, and, and one prediction for the year of 2023. So uh, with, uh, easy versus, uh, with easy versus Poatan, I think, in my opinion, these both fighters need each other, and I think they would need each other to fight each other more than one time. They already fought twice, and I think the more probable outcome for this fight that I see is the draw. And I think this is something that the public is overlooking right now, because if Poatan lands a good shot or two, gets a 10-8 round, and then Easy puts up a volume, this fight may, may very well uh, end uh, in a draw. So I, that would be my prediction. 
And then I think for Algerman Sterling in 2023, I think Algerman Sterling uh, will be stripped of the Bantamweight title. Thanks. Bye. Stripped of the Bantamweight title. Wow. I mean, stranger things have happened. I don't think he'll get stripped. Like, if he's not fighting till June, like, you can't strip him. <laughs> That'd just be... I mean, I guess you could. They are the UFC and they control all of this, but why would you strip them? I don't know. It won't be for Sahoo at all. I'll tell you that right now. But I don't know. And in the main event, two eighty one. Listen, draw. Listen, a draw could definitely be in play. But I feel like if Pereira hurts Izzy, he's like he's going to win. I don't know if it's a situation where he just. Drops Izzy and hurts him, but Izzy recovers. I think if he hurts him, he, he probably wins the belt. The other question I, I think the AM had was, do you think we'll see any wrestling in this? And I think if Pereira's smart, he will. And not just, not for like winning the fight, like not using wrestling per se as a weapon to win, but at least it gives Izzy something to think about that he's probably not thinking about. Like, I don't think Izzy's working on wrestling in this camp. I don't think he expects Pereira to shoot a takedown on him or try to grapple with him at all. But if Pereira shoots for a takedown and they start grappling against the cage or he gets a takedown and Izzy gets back up, that gives Izzy something else to think about. That might not be a, that might not be a bad strategy on his part. So wouldn't shock me. And who knows? Maybe Izzy will do the same. Maybe Izzy will shoot a takedown on Pereira. And we'll see how what he can do off his back. Gives him something to think about. So, wouldn't stun me to see a takedown attempt in this fight. And we're four days away. and We'll get some answers. But we're going to get out of here, folks. Thank you very much. We'll be back again on Thursday. 10 a.m. We'll do it again. Thursday will be a busy day. Friday will be a very busy day, as always. And then Saturday, it's on to New York. Excited for the watch party. Me and GC getting after it. We're going to be working on some stuff all week. And I think you'll enjoy it like you did uh, for UFC 280. Feedback has been great. And we're going to have more fun. We're going to fine-tune some things. And we will be ready to go. So uh, from what I understand, by the way, for fans of the MMA Hour, there's something real cool going down tomorrow. I can't tell you. I know what it is. I know what it is. But I can't tell you. But you're going to love it. I can promise you that. So we are done. See you Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Have a great rest of the day. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch 
against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 